Okay, so apart from the fact that um, we've now gone through all four chapters of Philippians uh, incredibly effectively up on that on that rack there, I could probably sit down at this point and say, that's it, that's, that's the letter of the Philippines, go and live it. Uh, but I don't want to. Uh, I want to just spend a bit of time this afternoon saying, okay, well, we've got to the end of it, and we've really looked in, in real detail, but what about if we just take a step back and we jump in one of those helicopter rides and take an overview of this? What can we pick out? What is there about uh, some of the questions of life and the reality of our life today that, that this book uh, can address for us? There was a brilliant film uh, produced uh, in 1999. Paul Thomas Anderson produced a film called Magnolia. I would not recommend it. This is not a recommendation. Uh, it is uh, a gritty um, the language in it is horrendous. The uh, characters in it are pretty um, uh, tooth, tooth curling. But in terms of an assessment of humanity, in terms of a picture and raising questions of life, the film Magnolia is simply genius. It's described in this way as an epic mosaic of several interrelated characters in search of happiness, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. I just look at that and I think, isn't it amazing that uh, filmmakers in, in this century, well, last century just, are, are wanting to ask, those kind of questions are wanting to, to portray to the whole of the world what is it about happiness, forgiveness and meaning that is so uh, integral to what it is to being a human being uh, right the way through our history all the way through every uh, culture every people group every generation is trying to ask those questions. How can I find happiness? How can I be forgiven? Uh, different characters raising all sorts of questions, what they've done in their lives. One of them is, is literally uh, on his deathbed. Uh, two of them, actually, are literally on their deathbeds. Uh, saying, recounting to people close to them the realities of what they have been when the person closest to them hasn't even known that that's what they are like. But they have lived their lives thinking, I am not the person that you think I am, and I need to be forgiven. At this point in time, please forgive me. Is it too late? The question is asked when that's portrayed. Is it too late at that point to say, this is what I'm really like, and by the way, please will you forgive me? Forgiveness. Searching desperately for happiness. That's recounting over their lives, what they've been through, what they've done. What's it all about? How can I find happiness and meaning? Why am I here? If it all comes down to this, catching breaths uh, at the very end, fighting for life, if it all comes down to this, what is it all about? It asks some massive questions. Now, one of the things that I would say, and I want to encourage you, if you don't do this, 
I want to encourage you to, to realise that the Bible does not shy away from big questions. In fact, I would suggest to you that it up front addresses those big questions. It up front says, what is it that life is all about? And I would say that as we come to this big picture overview, we can look at the letter of Philippians and say it addresses the issues of meaning, of forgiveness, and of happiness. Meaning, forgiveness, and happiness. And it does it, as we've said on just about every occasion that we've been working through this letter, it does it in the reality of life. Because uh, the recipients of this letter in the uh, city of Philippi, they were going through a rough time and it was going to get worse because they believed in Jesus. Within the next few years, they were going to face uh, the challenge and the persecution of the Roman Empire. They were going to be stripped of their possessions. They were going to uh, find themselves ostracized by society because they were followers of Jesus. That's the reality. But that's, it's not as though um, the writer is, is giving them this uh, confidence from a kind of tucked away safe environment. The writer of the letter, the Apostle Paul, is in a Roman jail because he is holding to the message of Jesus and has now found himself uh, taken captive and expecting at any time either to be released or to be executed. Uh, and that's where he was. So he, both the recipients and the writer are, are here writing this letter from the reality of life. I don't know all of your situations. I know some. I don't know all. Maybe your situation right now, you're thinking, I, I am really, really at the end. I, I, the, the realities of what is going on in my life are... Do you know what happened this past week? I got through that particular issue. In fact, I was facing that issue uh, and it's not worked out the way I feared it might. Uh, but just as that is calming down, this has happened. This has happened. Can you believe it? That's happened. Maybe you're in that situation. <laughs> if you're not, I don't want to be a doom and gloom merchant here, but the reality is, if you're not, you will be one day, won't you? Uh, because the problem, probably if you haven't been already, you know friends who have been. And we all go through those realities, those experiences. In fact, Magnolia faces, his, faces us up with those realities and says, you know what, even if you have the best life, right the way through, you will face the final challenge. What then? What then? Meaning. I'm going to, rather than having some texts up on the screen because we're covering the whole of the book, what I've done this afternoon is I've just pulled out a few verses uh, to display to us and to say, well, how do we respond to this? Paul writes in uh, chapter 1 and verse 21, he says this, For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that sounds strange uh, to most philosophies of life. Because it doesn't say hold on to the other uh, instead, of the one, instead of one. It's not saying grab a hold of the future. Grab a hold of 
the opportunity to ex- escape this life and enter into a spiritual final experience. It is not saying that. It's saying actually life is life. And it's here to be experienced and loved and enjoyed. And we'll come to that. How? Uh, he's saying I'm going to live in Christ. Christ is everything in my life now. So life now is precious. I would say that pretty much all of us hold on to one or the other, don't we? We say, I'm going to hide away from the reality of the end of life and live life for now. Just going to make the most of life now. Just going to live it out. It's going to be great. I'm going to get as much as I can. I'm going to satisfy myself with with relationships, with whatever it is that you do. Whatever it is that you find is your kind of thing for making life now worthwhile. I'm going to hide away from the the reality of the end. Or you might be the kind of person who says, just let's get this out of the way and go for the end. Let's just head for something spiritual and, and, and get out of this. And he says no. In fact, the Bible right the way through says no. We are made to be human beings in physical bodies. We are made for a satisfying life. The problem is the reality of life says we don't get it, do we? Hugh Laurie is one of the most successful actors from, um, from his uh, initial comedy acting with Stephen Fry. He's gone on to, I think, be the most successful TV actor currently, um, appearing on TV. He's the star of House over in, in the States, um, incredibly successful. Uh, he's recently, I don't know whether you're aware of this, he's recently uh, produced a music album. He's a jazz pianist, and uh, he's, he's produced a, a music album singing and playing the piano, Hugh Laurie. Uh, it's what he always wanted to do. It was a lifetime dream for him. As a kid, he wanted to be a musician. He ended up being an actor instead. Now, most people would say, well, that's not a bad trade, really. You know, being a kind of world-famous actor. And, and he was saying, you know, really, the reality is, all I really wanted to do is be a musician. He says this, I don't have a single complete show or movie or anything else that I could look at and say, nailed that one. But endless dissatisfaction is, I suppose, what gets us out of bed in the morning. Endless dissatisfaction. Not a single show, not a piece of music, not anything that I have done that actually makes life fulfilling and satisfying. And Paul says this, from a Roman jail, for me to live is Christ. I found a satisfaction in this life now. And I want to ask the question, why is Christ a satisfaction for his life now? Two reasons, and there there are many reasons, but just want to focus on two. First is this. Being a Christian is about uh, becoming, immersing, being 
in Christ. That's what it is. It's about not looking inside anymore. It's about looking outside and saying, I am now no longer in me. I am alive in him. I am alive in him. Why would Jesus be satisfying? Because nothing that he ever has done, nothing that he ever will do, is going to come to a dissatisfying end. Everything that he has done is perfect in every way. Imagine what it would be like to never do anything, never do anything or say anything or think anything that you regret. That's Jesus. And nothing can stop his success. Even death appeared to have defeated him. And then he defeated that by rising again. Nothing stops him. Nothing ends him. And therefore we can say, if I am in that, how satisfying is that? How satisfying if, if, if I can be associated with that, if I can be one with that, how utterly satisfying life now can be. Because no matter what happens in the future, it ain't going to beat me. In Christ. I have laid down my life dependency on me and my life becomes dependent on him. I let go of me and as long as we keep on looking for our satisfaction inside of ourselves by creating it for ourselves, by finding peace from within, we will be beaten. But Jesus wins. But he doesn't say it's all about now. He says, to die is gain. In the 21st century Western mindset, to die is gain seems like crazy talk. How can to die be gain? Her name was Helen Keller, and she was, um, she was born uh, in the 19th century. And she was a, a well-known deaf and blind girl. She actually uh, was stricken with the condition at 19 months. She wasn't born deaf and blind. Uh, she, was, she had an, some sort of a condition that came on her at 19 months. She lost her hearing. She lost her sight. She became quite a bitter woman. And then she found Jesus. And the intervention of somebody else, and it's a whole story, a fantastic story, really worthwhile listening to. But she said this, death is no more than passing from one room into another. But there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see. Wow. Wow. You see, that is what life in Christ is about. To gain. What are your ailments? What are my ailments? And don't, don't, let's, don't let's just stop at the physical. 
you know, we're prob- we all are declining. Well, some of you actually are on the wet slope up still. Uh, you'll reach the point pretty quickly and you'll be on the slope back down and uh, you will be declining. And um, the reality is we're all declining. But it, that's not the issue, is it? We are spiritually and we are emotionally and we are morally uh, broken inside as well. And what the Bible says is that that is resolved in Christ. I find a meaning which says that real human existence, satisfying meaning and worth, is found now in Jesus because it anticipates eternity in Jesus. Now in Jesus and anticipates eternity in Jesus. I found a meaning which says that in the future, everything about me is going to be resolved. Everything is going to be restored. Helen Keller can say, I'm going to see. I'm going to be able to say. In eternity, I am not going to get frustrated. I am not going to get bitter. The way I I know I currently do at times. I am not going to be impatient the way I know I currently am at times. Imagine that. Imagine when your instant response to any comment or conversation is what naturally is what frustrates you now. Where it is resolved. Because the inner nature that is causing the problem is, is fixed. That's meaning. That's real life. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and that to the full. He said, I've come to give you abundant life. What does that mean? It means that life now can be resolved because it's outside of me and life in eternity can be hope because it's in Jesus and it is fixed. But that's meaning. Do we live in that, the light of that kind of meaning? Do we live with that kind of hope or are we still deep down frustrated because we know that we are still not right? (laughs) Meaning forgiveness. One of the things that we wrote, that we read is about uh, the cross. It says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. It's talking about Jesus. Letting go of all of the perfection of heaven, coming into this world and living a life which is on a trajectory to the torture and separation from his father of the cross. Why? Why would the king of heaven come into this world with the purpose of an agonizing Rejection by both those around him and by the Father who loves him in heaven. Because there is something beyond that is worthwhile. Forgiveness for a people who can become worshippers of him. It was heaven complete before Jesus came into the world. Well, yes. Complete in every way. It didn't need anything more. But God wants something more. God always purposed that part of the beauty of creation is that there's going to be a people who are joyfully relishing him. Joyfully enjoying him. And he's come to make that possible again. 
the reality is we need to be forgiven to enjoy it. Gabriel Byrne is starring in a brilliant uh, series on TV at the moment called In Treatment. It's a psychiatrist who has various people coming into his uh, clinic and he talks them through the various situations. Uh, one story is about an American pilot who, um, in, in an exercise, pressed the fire button, shot a missile, hit a school, killed a load of children. He comes to meet with Gabriel Byrne to talk through the issue and uh, it seems as though there's resolution. He goes back to the Middle East and he crashes his plane, it would seem, on purpose. Gabriel Byrne is devastated because he, he, he thought he'd done as much as he could. He goes to see somebody else to deal with the problem that he now has. And uh, his friend says to him, you know, the problem that this guy had was that he couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't forgive himself. Yeah, dead right. You see, there are things that no matter how hard we try, we cannot forgive ourselves, and they do not have to be as devastating as something like that. There are real issues of life, and if you are honest, you know that there are things in your life, because there are things in my life as well, that I cannot forgive myself. Now, now here's, the, here's the great thing about the message of the Bible. Why is it that we feel that we can't forgive ourselves? It's because we need to be forgiven by somebody else. David, who was the king of Israel, king of God's people, he was one who had the blessing of God poured out on him in an incredible way. He's on the roof of his palace one day, he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman. He finds out who she is, he goes and gets her because he's the king and he can do that. He ends up with her coming into his palace, he sleeps with her, and then to hide the fact that she's pregnant, he arranges for her husband to get killed. He's the king of Israel. He's a per person who's personally known God in a way that none of us have ever known God. That is the reality of what he did. He becomes a, a, a wife stealer and a murderer in a series of events. And then in Psalm 51 he says this. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And we say, hang on David, that, that can't be true. You've sinned against Bathsheba, you've sinned against all of the wider family, you've sinned against uh, your responsibilities as a leader. And David says, yes, all of that is true, but the reality is, in terms of my conscience, in terms of who I am, I need to be forgiven, firstly, by God. That's the reality. I need to be forgiven by God. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus came and died on a cross. In chapter 4 he talks about the gospel that came to the church in Philippi. The good news. Where are those two connected? Well the cross says God can't just forgive at no no cost. He can't just wipe it away. He can't say, let's pretend it didn't happen. Let's just all, you know, just love each other and not deal with it. Because that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness always costs. And Jesus came to 
pay the price that forgiveness costs so that others might come and know that the gospel is for me. In chapter 4 he says, the gospel came to you. This is 40, AD 45-ish, something like that. 15 or so years after Jesus. 10 years or so. Well, didn't the gospel start when Jesus died and it started to spread? He says the gospel began with you at that point. He's saying this, and I want to just deal with this very quickly. It's the gospel personal for you now. You know, you can, you can write the script. You can write out what the gospel is. So it's all about the fact that Jesus came into this world and was shattered on a cross so that I don't need to be shattered. I can write all of that. I can say that's what it is. But has it got personal? Is it personally me saying, finally, God, forgive me. Forgive me. <laughs> That's the gospel. Otherwise, it's just, it's just an interesting philosophy that hasn't got personal. And Paul says this is where it got personal for you, where forgiveness became real. Now, you know the great thing is? When I know I am forgiven by God, I know I am truly forgiven. That results in true happiness. Paul says that you Christian believers, you're my joy and you're my crown, he says in, in chapter 4. He says, I now live with the idea of you as a satisfying, happy part of my life. Why? Because we're going to spend all of eternity together enjoying Jesus. You're connected to him, I'm connected to him. By that, we're connected together. Uh, what's your idea of perfection for a day? Other people? I'll be honest, I know what my idea of perfection is. I jump on my bike and get away from everybody and everything and it's just bliss because I'm by myself and it's just fantastic and I'm doing my thing and it's... And then I realise, actually, you know what? solitary existence is a sad existence we are not made to be solitary the problem is that every time we come together we we kind of butt up against each other don't we i cannot be happy in this life truly because of me and the effects that i make give on other people and because of what other people does do to me and paul says you corinthian church you philippian church you galatian church you are all a joy to me because we're on a journey preparing to spend eternity together to be eternally happy you see how it works if i find meaning in life if i find true happiness if i find those things sorry if i find true forgiveness i can know true happiness lasting eternal happiness Magnolia asks another question in closing where it says this. In these intertwined lives that touch each other in different points, these lives that, that result in different behaviours as a result of what I've experienced by this person and that person, how free am I to live this life? How free am I? 
Is every decision that I make total freedom? No, it isn't. It just isn't, is it? We know that. But then we are here today. We are because of a series of events here at this point in time. We are hearing about the issues of life. We are hearing about a perspective on life which says, yes, you know what? True meaning can be found and it's not within, it's outside. It's in Christ. True forgiveness can be found through Christ. True happiness can be known because of Christ. And we are here today. One of the things that Paul did because he was concerned for Christ, because he loved what Jesus had done, as he spent his life just traveling around, putting his life in danger because he wanted to share that with other people. Do we want to do that? And in fact, do we hear this now, maybe for the first time, and say, I want that. If either of those two things are on your mind, can I encourage you, chat to somebody afterwards, chat to me, or somebody else, and uh, please do consider the claims of the reality of life that we're all asking, but Jesus claims to answer.